1923, a very significant meeting was held at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Collectively, these financial tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury at that time. And for years, newspapers and magazines that were being printed were sharing their success stories to the world and especially to the people of America and to the youth and saying, look at these guys, follow their examples, see how they're managing finances, and you do like they've been doing. Attending that famous gathering there at the Edgewater Beach Hotel were nine of the world's most successful financial people in the world at the time. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab. Ever heard of his name, haven't we? The president of the largest utility company, Samuel Insull. The president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson. The greatest wheat spectacular, Arthur Cutton. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney. A member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall. The greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse Livermore. Uh, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivan Kruger. And the president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier. All nine of these high-powered financial managers, these people who are leading big industries and, and organizations, they're all together, probably the supreme masters of the world at that time. And the newspapers and everybody in the country is holding them up, saying, look at them, see how they're doing it, follow their example. Fast forward 25 years later, 1948, the picture was much different. Charles Schwab had died bankrupt after living on borrowed money for the last five years of his life. Samuel Insull had died a fugitive from justice, penniless in a foreign land. Howard Hobson was in an insane hospital. Arthur Critton died abroad, known to be broke. Richard Whitney had just been released from prisoner. Albert Fall was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. And Jesse Livermore, Leon Frazier, and Ivan Kruger all died by taking their own lives. At one time, everyone's holding them up and saying, look at these guys, how they're doing it. Finances stressed them out and even made them make some wrong choices. All these men, master of finances, had learned how to make money. But none of them had learned how to manage it well and how to live by God's standards. Now we're in a series that broke is normal, don't be normal, be weird. Today's message is titled, Debt is Normal, Don't Be Normal, Be Weird, Get Out. Some of you just said, heard that or you saw that in a bulletin and you went, I don't know if I want to talk about this topic. I don't know if I want to hear about this topic. The weight is already filling on your shoulders going, okay, we're going to talk about a debt topic at church. Yes, because the Bible has so much to say about what we do with our money, how we manage finances, and especially debt. Debt has become the default setting for most people. If I don't have the money for something, I just charge it or I go get a loan because it's something that I want. And that's what everybody else does because debt is very normal in our society. It's the normal way that we live. Debt is man's way of giving himself what God hasn't given him yet. I want it. I'm going to go get it. God, I can't wait for you any longer. So I'll just go borrow some money. Christian financial expert, best-selling author Dave Ramsey said, the Bible says absolutely nothing positive about debt. Every time debt is mentioned, it comes with a warning or a condemnation. Now see, debt may be normal. But as I laid out a couple weeks ago, normal's not working in our country any longer. 
And not only is normal not working in our country, normal's not working in our homes any longer. I'm encouraging you to not be normal. I'm encouraging you, be weird. Say, I'm going to do something different than what the normal of our society is doing and get out of debt and to stay out and say, that's how I'm going to live my life. I share this message today, and not only am I preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. I don't have all this figured out. I don't have it all tackled. We're on, a, I think, the right trajectory and the right path to get there. And so as I share today and as I put this together, I was like, boy, Brian, you need to hear your own message. Craig Groeschel in his book Weird said, you want to know something that's perfectly normal and how we view money? Stress from not having enough money, not making enough money, and and owning uh, way too much money. Owing way too much money. In other words, he says, that's normal. That's normal. Most people in today's society live paycheck to paycheck. If you get paid weekly or bi-weekly or monthly, it's like, I can't wait for the next paycheck. According to CareerBuilder.com, 80% of working Americans live paycheck to paycheck. In other words, when I'm getting close to my paycheck, my money's all running out, and I can't wait for the next paycheck. Monthly payments, that's normal. Credit card debt, that's normal. Paying only monthly minimums, that's become normal. And that's what our society is teaching us. This is all normal. Allow me to ask you something this morning. What price can you place on worry, anxiety, and fear because of financial struggles that maybe you walk in today? What what price? How much is your health, your security, your peace of mind worth. There's all kinds of studies out today that show that stress and worry and anxiety raises our chances of, of cancer and many other kinds of diseases because when you're stressed, our body doesn't fight things off as well. It's only normal. All we want is, one, is what everybody else has, but everyone else has the same stress and the same worry and the same despair And so we follow the patterns, just like they were teaching in 1923. Follow these guys over here. Follow their patterns. Do you want to follow that pattern? Bankruptcy, insane, taking their own life. The collateral damage of it is all normalcy. Tension in your relationships with the people that you love most. Fights between you and your spouse. Still to this day, the number one thing that happens is when people come and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you, or counselor, I need to go to you. My marriage, what is the number one thing at the top of that list? Financial issues. We're fighting over money. Okay, she does it this way, I do it this way. She spends a lot, he doesn't balance the budget. Da-da-da, just all these arguments and fights about money. And then it leads to feelings of helplessness and frustration and powerlessness and despair and shame and embarrassment because how do we get ourselves in this mess? And they would say that the number one cause of divorce is financial issues. You know why I'm challenge you to not be normal, and especially when it comes to the area of debt. Church, because normal is not working. It's not working any longer. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. The whole book, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's known as the wisdom literature. You want to get wise, you read Proverbs, and you put it into action. It's practices. But Proverbs is so wise. Now, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm going to show you something today that most of you, if not all of you, have probably never seen. Matter of fact, when I was studying for this week, and this was, this was in one of the studies I was going through, I went, wow, that just kind of jumped off the page right there and really caught my attention. The passage we're going to read today contains one of the most f- familiar verses in Bible. Probably a verse that many of us in this room have quoted at some time or another or we we rely upon, especially when raising our children. But when we look at it within context, 
It's amazing what the greater meaning is. Now, a little side note, when you're studying the Bible, you always start small and you spread out wider. So if you're looking at one verse and you say, well, what does that verse mean? Then look at some verses around it. What's the verses two or three or four behind it and after it's saying? And then spread out to the entire chapter, then spread out to the entire book to get the, the greater meaning of what it's teaching. And so when we look at this within context, what we're doing, we're taking one verse, but we're going to spread out and say, let's see what the greater meaning is. Look at Proverbs 22 with me, starting in verse 1. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Corrupt people walk a thorny, treacherous road. Whoever values life will avoid it. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster, and their reign of terror will come to an end. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Now, did you see it? Did you see the key verse in there? What verse is it in there? What number of verses is it in there that many of us quote and we, and we share often? Verse 6. Verse 6. Direct your children or train up a child in the way they should go. When they are older, they will not leave it. What's this passage about? These nine verses is a passage about money and about money management. How do we do that? Listen to it again. Here's a summary. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. You need to be wise and avoid trouble. Fools won't. They'll just do what everybody else does, follow the normal. If you stay humble and fear the Lord, you'll be blessed in every way. Riches, honor, and life. Don't try to cheat your way. It's, it's nothing but a trap. If you care about your eternity, you'll avoid anyone who is like that. It's your responsibility to train children in these truths so they'll live their whole life following these truths, and one of the best things you can teach them is to stay out of debt. Understand the law of sowing and reaping. Be generous. See, we've been taught for years, direct your children in the path they should go. When they are older, they will not depart from that. And rightfully so, I think there's some definite truths to that passage. You say, teach them Jesus. Help them to know Jesus. Direct them in Jesus so they will not navigate away from Jesus. And I think that's some meaning we can draw from that passage. But the greater meaning is teach them how to be good financial stewards. Teach them to stay out of debt so that when they're older, they don't follow the same patterns that we have been taught. We need to be teaching and training our children not to be normal, but to choose a weird life. Debt may be normal, but remember, normal's not working. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. We've been taught in our culture, just borrow your way to what things you want. And then we pass that on to our kids. And then our kids learn that same pattern. And many times we're sitting here as adults, whether you be 30 or 40 or 50 or 70 or how old you are, and you are in a mess because you're like, I've just learned what's been passed down to me through the years. In the same chapter, Solomon writes, be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? What he's saying is if you don't have any debt, you don't have to worry about coming, coming and take your bed or your car or your house. 
But when you have debts, what do you worry about? Can I keep paying these bills? Can I afford it? See, most people don't consider the consequences of not being able to pay their debts. Well, I, I want that car. Well, I want that house. Well, I want that vacation. I want to go here. And we don't stop and think, if I can't pay these bills or if my job dries up, what am I going to do? There's an article that came out back in September 2018 called 30 Companies You Didn't Know Were at the Risk of Bankruptcy. The first line read, retail bankruptcies hit an all-time high in the first quarter of 2018, even more than last year. And then there was this. Some of the businesses that have made this list might surprise you. On the face, they may look fine. The clerks still have smiling faces when you walk in, and the clothing is still folded neatly on the shelves. But behind the scenes, there's turmoil. Went on and talked about 30 different companies like J. Crew, who has a $2 billion debt. Sears, a $12 billion debt. GNC, a $1.3 billion debt. Did you hear what I'm saying? Billion dollar debt. Steinmark got a $50 million loan to buy more time. J.C. Penney, the article said, a big factor in the way of its turnaround is its total debt of $4.2 billion. Lands in had a $498 million loan. The Guitar Center, $900 million debt. David's Bridal, I hope you're not planning to get married anytime soon. $520 million loan was due in 2019, and $220 million in unsecured notes was due in 2020. PetSmart, this might be good for us. We could get some extra dog food and food bowls and when they shut their doors. PetSmart has an $8 billion debt problem. $8 billion. And it's just overwhelming to me to think these stores we're walking into... And they have employees are on the edge of shutting their door at any moment when the banks call their note and say, hey, you need to pay that bill. You say, well, is that going to happen? Yeah. You know, my very own college where I graduated from, where my diploma that hangs on a wall that says you now have a diploma in Bible and youth ministry, my very own Bible college closed its doors this past December. Shut up and close their doors. You know why? Cincinnati Christian University closed their doors because of financial debts. The bank said, nope, can't loan you any more money. They couldn't navigate the debt load anymore. It's happening all around us. Now, you may be thinking, well, Brian, those are businesses. They're going to do their thing, but does that really apply to me and my own family? Well, I, I think it does. And I think this does for sure. The average U.S. household in November 2017 was carrying $279,000 in debt. Broken down like this, credit card debt of almost $17,000. Auto loans of almost $30,000. Student loans of over $50,000. And a mortgage of over $182,000. Average. And I, you, you can go to all kinds of studies, and the numbers are very consistent, that this is what we're carrying on our backs, being overwhelmed with debt, which leads to stress and anxiety and depression and all kinds of challenges because we're going, how do I pay these bills? Which then leads to fights within marriages, which then leads to divorce, and it just snowballs. According to a recent Bloomberg report, U.S. student loan debts set records doubling since the recession. Recession ended in 2011, 
eight, nine years ago, and student loan debt has doubled to $1.465 trillion in America. Now, some of you sit here today and go, I don't have any student loan debt. That's not my problem. Some of us say, well, my, my student loan is just real small. I got it under control. It took me 15 years to pay off my student loan debt. That was a noose around my neck. Couldn't wait to get rid of it. Some of you are right there with you. But you say, that's my problem. Well, the article went on and said, if there were to be a recession causing a rise in youth unemployment, when they say youth, they meant young people in their 20s, uh, unemployment triggering mass defaults, it could prove burdensome for the U.S. government budget because over 90% of student loans are guaranteed by the U.S. Department of Education. So if there's this mass of, of job shortages and we can't pay those, that affects all of us. So you may say, well, I don't have any student loan debt, but you may be sitting next to somebody who's carrying that $50,000 average. And if they can't pay their bill, that could affect every single one of us. You know what the common denominator is here? They're all broke. Whether it be a company or whether it be us as families, and then we're, we're pinched so much that we can't do the good that God has planned for us to do. The Wall Street Journal had an article January 4, 2019 with this headline, More First-Time Homebuyers Are Turning to the Bank of Mom and Dad. First-time buyers can't afford a down payment to qualify for a loan, so they go to mom and dad and say, Mom and Dad, can you help us out? Probably because they're paying their student loans. Some of you go, I, I've been down that road. Mom and Dad, can you help us out? And they're turning to mom and dad, and mom and dad are like, wait a minute, I'm in a whole bunch of debt myself. And mom and dad, because they can, they go get the loan to give it to their kid. And the cycle continues, thinking they're helping them out. Does anyone see the problem here? Are you all with me? This is a challenge for us. This is a challenge for our society. One more headline from The Motley Fool, February 28, 2017. Ten statistics that prove baby boomers are in big trouble when it comes to retirement. The article said, said the statistics are alarming. In a nutshell, baby boomers as a group are not ready for retirement. 59% of baby boomers cite Social Security as a major source of the retirement income. And I said last week the, average, or the, the, the Social Security income is about $1,400 a month. And you're looking ahead going, I'm going to live on that because 65% of baby boomers are worried about the future. Changes Social Security going, are they going to change the age? Are they going to change the amount? Because is it going to be around? Debt's normal, but normal's not working. In fact, it's killing our country. And if we wanted to change, it has to start with the church. It has to start with God. People say, I'm going to look at Scripture, and I'm going to get obedient to Scripture, and I'm going to be really weird in what our society teaches. Since normal isn't working, maybe it's time we say, all right, I'm going to embrace weirdness. I'm going to embrace doing some things different. If you're tired of normal and you're ready to be weird, then here's what you need to know. Debt is not God's plan for you. That's the world's plan. That's what this world has taught us. That's not God's plan. In Philippians chapter 4, we see that the church gathered up an offering. They gave it to Paul, the apostle Paul, as he's being a missionary. They said, here, you keep doing God's work. And look what Paul says. He says, and my God, as a response, he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Who did he say is going to meet their needs? God. He said, my God will meet just a few of your needs. He said, no, my God will meet all your needs. He, he never said the bank of America will meet your needs. He never said the bank of Jerusalem will meet your needs. He never said Citibank or some other bank. He said, my God will meet all of your needs. Do we believe that today? Do we really believe that when we say, you know what, I need that car. Let's go out and just get a loan. I got it. Versus saying, God, I, I need a car. 
I had a conversation with someone this week who said, Brian, my car's been broken down. It's been in the shop. I said, when are you getting it out? They said, I'm waiting for God to give me the money. I was like, man, that's really cool. They're actually waiting instead of pulling out the piece of plastic and going, here, i got to pay this bill. Now let's just move on. They said, I'm waiting for the dollars to come in. And that theme is throughout Scripture that God is the supplier of our needs. Look at Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Stay away from it. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, make sure the only thing you owe people is I'm going to love the snot out of you. That's my job. Debt is man's way of giving himself what God hasn't given him yet. Now, there's a few lessons I want you to learn today. One is our impatience leads to disobedience. When we get impatient, we're like, I want this. Then we choose disobedient. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Those who are hasty, I want it, I want it now, I got to go get it. And so that's hasty. And so what happens? It leads to poverty. Debt is getting ahead of God. Debt doesn't deliver your dreams, it actually delays your dreams. But we live in this fast food society where we say, I want it, I want it now. I order it online, I can have it tomorrow. I go through the fast food, my food should be here within five minutes. I get it because I want it now. And so when we're impatient, it leads us not following God's plan versus slowing down and saying, God, here's what I think are my needs. Here's my concerns. Here's my worries. God, I give them to you, but now, God, I'm going to wait. We're not used to waiting in our society. And when we have to wait, then we get so impatient. We're like, come on, fast food line. I've been here for five minutes. Amazon, why haven't you arrived yet? Internet, why are you so slow? We start to be like that in our society. But our society has gone faster and faster, so now we expect everything to happen fast. Number two is our disobedience also leads to impatience. Malachi 3, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And what he's saying is, you're not putting God first, and so your nation is under a curse. I believe our nation, America, is under a curse. Oh, yeah, we're in great financial times right now, aren't we? Oh, things are going well. My, my, my investments grew by 30% last year. Yay. You know that could crash like that tomorrow? Because we're robbing God. As a nation, we're robbing God. Bring a whole tithe in the storehouse. So he said, put me first, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Because we're disobedient in putting God first, we become impatient. And so the two of them kind of go hand in hand. Matthew chapter 6, what did Jesus say? But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first whose kingdom? My kingdom? No, not my kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
and then all these things will be added to you. Some of us are stuck where we are financially because we're not putting him first. We're going, why am I in this mess? Why am I under this debt? Why am I stressed out? Because we're still not putting him first. But he says, when you put me first, then these things are added to you. Because God's people don't put him first, giving the first things, the first fruits back to him, then we have to go to someone else to help us out. I'm in a pinch. I'm in a struggle. I can't pay these bills. So we go to a friend. We go to a mom. We go to a dad. We go to a bank. Help me out. And because we don't practice God's principles and teach them to our children, they grow up relying on debt instead of depending on God. And the cycle continues because we keep that cycle going. One reason why I'm 47 years old and I'm still wrestling with getting debts off because I learned the cycle. Until someone breaks the cycle, it continues. I want to ask young people in this room, teenagers, stand up. Stand up for a second. 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, you're in here. Stand up for a second. 5th grade, yeah, it works too. All right? I want you to look around this room, folks. Moms and dads, I'm going to tell these young people something. Don't get mad at them. You can get mad at me. You can talk to me later. Your moms and dads are trying the best they can in this world. But your mom and dad have been sold a lie in this world. And the lie is, go out and buy this with a piece of plastic. Go out and take a loan. Get a debt. And what they teach you then is to do the same thing. You can break the cycle. You know why you can break the cycle? Most of you right now, you don't have a house payment, I don't think. Isaiah, you have a house payment? You don't have a house payment, okay. Most of you, I don't, I don't think, you haven't bought a car yet, have you? Not yet. You haven't gone out into student loans yet, I don't think. You know, most, of you, most of you in here, I think, are junior high age. Most of you haven't got a credit. I don't think you had a credit card yet. Any of you in here got a credit card? So you guys are ahead of the game right now. You have a chance to break the cycle by saying, I'm not going in that direction. And when mom and dad say, oh, you need a car, we're going to get a loan, you need to look and say, mom, dad, I want a car, but let's not do that loan. Moms and dads, if they come to you and say, give me a loan, forget a car, co-sign, you say, I'm not co-signing for you. Save your money, work hard, and then go buy a car with cash. Now, I can share that with you as young folks, and I can encourage you to do that. I can also tell you, I didn't do great at that as a young person. I wanted clothes. I wanted things. And I went out and bought them. And mom and dad were like, hey, you buy them. And then I got into college, and I took loans, and I had 15 years worth of paying on debt. You all can break the cycle. Moms and dads, don't encourage your kids to take loans. Don't. Let's, let's help them break the cycle. This is how it changes in America. While we're working on our own debts, we help them not to go down that road and choose not to. Go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> Moms and dads, your, your, your daughter, your son comes to you and says, hey, I'm, I want to go to college. Have you saved your college? Have you prepared? For, oh, no, mom and dad. It's one of the craziest things we do in our world. Go to college, go spend $50,000, get out, and you get a job making $30,000. How do you pay for that? How do you do that? we got to get wiser about this stuff. We've got to think differently. Now, you say, Brian, what about your kids? I don't say this to brag. My kids, their cars they bought, they saved their money to pay cash for their cars. Computers they bought, they worked, they saved their money to pay cash for their computers. I've never given my kids a loan, and I won't. And some people are like, Brian, that's mean. No, it's not mean. It's teaching them how to live in this life when they're 30 and 40 and 50 without being in a rat race that we're in. Because that's the rat race that we got caught in. And the way we have to do it is we have to break the cycle. So even though in your head you may go, I know this is right, 
I'm not doing it right. You can still teach them and be honest as I'm being honest with you. We know the principles. I've had a hard time applying it some. But let's start teaching our kids how to do this right. Dave Ramsey said, debt is so ingrained in our culture that most Americans can't even envision a car without a payment, a house without a mortgage, a student without a loan, and credit without a card. We've been sold debt with such repetition and with such fervor that most folks can't conceive of what it would be like to have no payments. It is possible. It is possible to be extremely weird and say, I'm not going down that debt trap. You want to be weird? You want to break the cycle? This is what we learn in Proverbs, that weird people avoid debt. Or may I say smart people avoid debt. Proverbs chapter 6 says, My son, if you have to put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. In other words, don't co-sign for somebody else and don't go into debt. And if you have already done that, then work your tail off to get out of it. Get out of that mess. One way to ruin a relationship, to ruin a friendship, to ruin a relationship between you and a child or to you and a neighbor is to co-sign. When that person defaults, you're stuck with the note. Wait a minute. Your name's on that piece of paper. I got to pay that now? Yep, they're not paying it, so now I'm coming after you. Even with your kids. Teach your kids to save their money, to work hard. See, the context of the passage is all about that co-signing and what Proverbs is telling us, get out of that mess. Get out of that trap. Chris Hogan in his book, Everyday Millionaire, says, I want to be as clear as I can here. The average millionaire stays away from debt. As we saw earlier, 96% of millionaires never carry a credit card balance and 95% plan ahead and save up for big purchases. And I can hear the excuses now. But Chris, of course they don't need to use debt. They're millionaires now. If that's what you're thinking, you aren't hearing me. I don't just mean that these men and women don't use debt now. I mean they have lived their whole lives by these basic principles. In fact, nearly three-quarters of the millionaires we studied have never carried a credit card balance in their lives. Millionaires know what most people in our society don't. Debt will hold you back and prevent you from reaching your goals. And if you've ever read any book about how to become a millionaire to understand it, they, they drive old cars, they don't have debts, they stay away from credit cards, and they practice those principles. Our government is $23 trillion in debt right now. I don't even know if I know how to write that number. I don't think I could. 23, I'd be like, is that enough zeros? No, that's more. No, I'm not sure. $23 trillion in debt. In other words, our government's not real wise. They're not smart. Comedian Jeff Foxworthy said, if your government believes, if your government believes that the best way to eradicate trillions of dollars of debt is to spend trillions more, you might live in a nation that was founded by geniuses but is run by idiots. I didn't say that. Foxworthy did. I agree with it, though. And who are we learning from? Our government. Do it this way. Do it that way. Do it this way. And it doesn't make any sense. We need to embrace the principles of Scripture. We need to say, I want to do my life not the normal way, but the weird way. See, no matter when you got into debt, today's the day to get out. Today's the day to say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. You must start somewhere. You can say, well, one day I will. You know what? I got the kids. I'm raising the kids. We got this. We got a vacation plan. Oh, you know, I got this car. And you can say, well, one day I will. Or you can say, 
this is the day one. This is the beginning day right now. I'm going to put a plan in place. I'm going to figure out how to do this, and I'm going to work. I'm not going to let my eyes rest, as Proverbs talks about. I'm going to get out of it. Proverbs 6, 4 is a great place to start. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. In other words, go to town and work at it and dig your way out. In other words, don't go to bed at night until you have a plan, until you have a strategy. Here's how you can do it. Here's a plan to help you get started. First of all, stop spending money you don't have and live within your means. That means you don't go and get everything you want. That, that means if you can't afford to pay for it, you don't go and buy it. Now, there's temptations. There's sometimes the balance between is this a need or is this a want? I'm not really sure, right? My wife and I are in this thing of when are we going to buy a car? My, uh, my Buick is 16 years old. And my van is 13 years old. And they're not the, not the most well-ran cars anymore. Air conditioning kind of works. You know, this kind of works. That doesn't work. And I've been itching. I've been like, honey, we're going to get a car. She's like, we're not getting a car yet. Honey, I want to get a car. Brian, do we have the money? No, but a little no. A little loan, that's not going to hurt anything. No, we're not going to get a car. And we have this little debate going on. It's not been an argument, just a little debate, having a little fun with that. I'm trying to dig out some other debts. You know what? It was a lot of fun when I bought that Buick and I put $5,000 down, boom, bought, it's done. I didn't have any worries. Right now, if I went and bought a car, I'd probably have to have a note. Unless we can save five, six, seven thousand $7,000 and buy a good, reliable, used car. Now, I share that with you because you can hold me accountable. No, there you go. <laughs> you see us drive in a brand new car saying, wait a minute, preacher, what's this idea of no debt and loans, da, 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 why'd you do that? But we should be able to talk to each other about this kind of stuff. Many times what we do in the church, I'm not going to talk about that. You know, finance, that's a private matter. We got to be willing to talk about it. So we, we can't, we got to stop spending. We got to get on a budget. A budget is nothing more than you telling your money where it's going to go before the bills get there. A, a budget is just a simple budget. It's not a restriction. It's a roadmap to freedom. When you sit down on a piece of paper or you get an app out or use whatever in a computer and you put a simple budget together and you say, here's our goals, here's where we're going, if you put it on plan, if you have no plan on paper, you have no plan. If it's just inside your head, you're like, oh, yeah, we got something. No, it's really not going to do you any good. You got to spend less than you make every week. Do you know if you start spending less than you make every week, you'll give yourself a raise? You don't have to wait on your boss. No, is my employer going to give me a raise? No, give yourself a raise. You bring in $500 this week, only spend $400. You just got a $100 raise that week. What are you going to do with it? Pay down my debts. I'm going to do some investment, set some aside. A lot of options you can do with that raise. Bring the first roots back to God. You got to bring the first roots. The first 10%, the tithe goes to God. And let me just say if you put a plan together and a budget together and you say, hey, I'm going to do this, but you don't do that, throw your plan away. Because we can try all we want to put a plan together we think is going to work, but God's got to be first. And one of the major ways Scripture talks about, we know He's first in our lives, is am I honoring Him with the tithe? Or am I robbing from Him? Start paying off every debt you have, beginning with the smallest. Start with the smallest. Wait, Brian, I have a debt over here. It's a $500 debt, and it's a 3% interest. And I have a debt over here that is $10,000, and it's 18% interest. Should I attack that one with 18% interest first? No. Start with the smaller. Ramsey calls that the snowball approach. You pay that off, you take what you're paying that off, and you roll it over the next debt. And when you get a snowball approach going, it's just like a snowball rolling downhill. You'll start having successes, so you pay them off smallest to largest. 
Put something in savings every week. Every week, put some dollars in the savings. Maybe it's $1. Just start the discipline every You know, today's age of the computer, the nice thing is you can set up discipline savings. That's what I do. Have a certain amount set every Friday. That money is sent to the bank. I don't see it. It just goes. It just goes. And then all of a sudden, I increase that. And all of a sudden, I get to increase that. It's amazing how you can start saving money just little by little. Some of you are here uh, this past summer. We we're talking about generosity feeds. A gentleman pulled up to the church, had an envelope full of $5 bills. He said, here you go. Use this however you can in the church. Not even someone who comes to our church. $1,500 worth of $5 bills. I was like, how did you get that? He said, well, every time I got a $5 bill, I just set it aside. Just set it aside. Say little by little, little by little by little. And then he was going around and blessing some churches in the area with some extra blessings because he saved $5 bills over a two-year span. Just little by little. Put something away. Pay cash for everything. Pay cash. If, you, if you're going to write a check, is the cash in your bank? You're going to pull out your credit card because you say, well, I don't carry much cash. Okay, is the cash there to pay it off? I'm not against using a credit card. I pay out my credit card. I pay for it every Thursday or Friday. I make a payment on my credit card every Thursday or Friday because I'm paying right from my checking account, so I'm not billing up a debt load. So pay cash with everything. If you can't pay for it, then don't get it. Proverbs 21, 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The diligent. In other words, you have a plan. I'm going to work the plan. I'm going to continue to work the plan. Abundance will happen. Now, let me just say, I know this message can feel a, a little heavy. You may have walked in here today going, man, I, I didn't really want this heavy message about debt because I have enough of it and I don't really want to mess with it and I try to hide it and stay away from it and I don't want to think about it and now the preacher's like making me think about it. And you're going home today and you're thinking, man, that just was a heavy message today. Let me just say, I bring this to you as a fellow journeyman. Brian and I, we, we have some debts. I, we don't like them. We don't like them. We're working diligently trying to pay them down. Uh, and it takes some time. So I'm a fellow journeyman. But at the same time, I know some of you in here, finances is a heavy, heavy burden. Matter of fact, it's so heavy, you're like, uh, my marriage is under a major stress because of it. Or I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do next. And so I don't bring this as a condemnation, I bring as a fellow struggler and say, we want to walk with you in that journey. At Centerpoint, we have helped a number of families who they're so overwhelmed going, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to handle it. If you would be willing to share that and say, you don't have to get into your finances, Brian, well, here's what, just Brian, we need some help. We just need, is there someone who can help us? You know, I can, I can say I want to lose 20 pounds. Usually I'm better if I'm doing that with somebody else. And usually in life, we know if I walk with somebody and someone's teaching me and guiding me and holding me accountable, usually I'll have success. If I just say I'm going to do it all by myself, eh, maybe some success, drop back, this, this roller coaster. And so there's been a time or two here even this last year where we, just, we refer you to some people who are great in this area of life. And we would love to walk with you on that journey. Now, it's, it's not you're going to come to me and say, hey, man, we're a mess. And the church's not going to write you a check for $10,000 say, here, get out of the mess. You know, we're not going to do that. We're going to walk with you in journey and, and put you in touch with some people who will help you. Sometimes some of the struggle is, well, if I go and, and ask for help, then that financial counselor is going to charge me a lot of money. Yeah, they do. If you come to me, I, we have some connections where you probably can help you get some help with, with no charge or a very, very small charge. And there's a few people in our church who are really good with this. And they're like, Brian, if you got someone, I would love to help them, help them figure this out. And so don't walk in this today and hear this today and walk out of here going, 
okay, he gave us a quick way to do this, but I need help. We're here to help. We can only know if you speak up. And here's what happens. Satan keeps this area quiet. What are we not allowed to talk about in the church? You're not allowed to talk about money. You're not allowed to talk about politics. I kind of like that idea. Let's not talk about politics. But let's talk about money, especially if you need some help. Speak up and say, hey, help me. We're here to go on that journey with you. See, it takes work. It's hard work. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's, it's a choice. Am I going to live in the normalcy of life? Or I'm going to step out of that and say, you know what? I'm going to start being weird. I'm going to walk according to God's way, which to this world is extremely weird. Bow your heads.